the X's and T podcast. I am your host, Danny, and I am so excited, you guys. This has been a long time coming. I think I'm most excited because I have a special guest with us today who is, it's somebody who I miss dearly because we live in different states now, but we're here to talk about a really important topic to the both of us. So I, again, I'm just going to, I'm just going to let you guys have it. Her name is Kelly. Hi, Kelly. Hi. I am so excited that you were wanting to come talk because I know that this particular topic that we're speaking on today has been something that has like molded our relationship together (laughs) for so long. (laughs) Yeah, it has. So first and foremost, Kelly and I met at the grocery store (laughs) because on 4th of July, because I'm fucking crazy. She is. Uh, so Kelly is my introvert that I have roped into my extroverted life. It was 4th of July. I think you were there with your whole family basically. And yeah. And I, I think I had my two kids with me as well. And which is so crazy because my little one was probably months old at the time. Like just a little guy. He was tiny. Was, yeah. Was. And I immediately approached you because I had to, because we were wearing the exact same Eric Church shirt. Which is so crazy, honestly. Like, what are the odds? I don't know. <laughs> like, like, seriously. It was, it was insane because like, I, I knew I was like, no, I have to talk to her. She's wearing the exact same shirt as me on the same day. And that's when you had told me, you're like, Oh my gosh, I just met Eric Church last weekend and you showed me the picture and it was like, yep. are you fucking kidding me? Did you seriously? It was wild. It was so, wild. And what's funny is I think you're the reason why I reactivated my Facebook after having been off for a couple of years. Oh my gosh. Because at that time I was in the mindset of my business and asking everyone or Facebook. That's right. Because at the time you were actively doing Sensi. I don't think you had started Pure Romance yet. It was just Sensi at the time. Yeah. So we, yeah. So we connected on Facebook following that. And I think it, we just like kept talking <laughs> and eventually like, oh, and then you invited me to your birthday. Oh my gosh. That was so fun. Oh, that was a fun birthday. I still have the Polaroid from that. So if you're okay with it, I'm going to post that Polaroid on Instagram. Yes. Yeah. That was so fun. I think that's the first time I met. I think you're, well, you're the only other friend that was there. No, your ex-partner. Is that okay to say? Yeah. His friend was there. That was my age. Oh yeah. That you guys tried to hook me up with. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's engaged now. (laughs) I know. And she's pregnant. Everyone's yeah, I mean, engaged or pregnant right now. <laughs> I know. I want, oh, I mean, I have a partner that I would love to be engaged to, but like, I'm okay not being pregnant. Like, fuck that. <laughs> For me specifically, I think that if people want to be pregnant, by all means, please, I wish you the best of pregnancy vibes, but I don't want to do that ever again. Now, because of that day, because of the grocery store, because I go and talk to everybody, it's something that I've, I've done, but I really started doing that after I had joined Worldwide, which if you haven't seen my Worldwide episodes, please go check them out. So many good stories. It's an awesome, but like chaotic time. But I do, I talk to everybody. And so yep. following that, I mean, we just kind of, we really connected because we both love Eric Church. We both love country music in general. We have a lot of the same hobbies that we really enjoy. So it just kind of grew from there. 
And um, one of the topics that did hold us together as something that we really bonded over was being raised by narcissistic parents. So full disclaimer, I am speaking as a child of a narcissist, but as a recovering process. My mom was a very narcissistic parent. She has borderline personality disorder that had gone undiagnosed. She knows that I'm talking about this. And it's just something that is a part of my childhood that I have trauma from that I want to talk about. And so my mom is currently actively being more self-aware. She's doing fantastic. We have a great relationship today, but that doesn't negate what happened to me growing up. And so with that being said, that is what we're going to be talking about today. Any disclaimers that you need? My parents don't know that I'm talking about this. Um, and I, I wish I could have the relationship with them where I could ha- hold the conversation and be able to productively get somewhere. But unfortunately, that's just not the case of the relationship I can really have with my parents at this time. I've tried. If they see this, um, I hope it opens their eyes. Um, I also know that they did the best they could through what they were going through. But that, again, does not take away from what I have been through. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it makes me sad when you hear that kind of stuff, because if we think about it, who are supposed to be our number one protectors in life? I mean, the number one protector is the mama bear, right? The, the lioness who's going to protect her cubs. The, the matriarchal figure is supposed to be the most dominant and the most protected. And when you're growing up with a parent, with a mom specifically, who does not have a nurturing bone in their body, it creates something within you that it it sucks. It's really hard because I know for me, I have so many trust issues because I couldn't trust my own mother. My mom, literally, I just was on the phone with her like a week ago and she was saying how um, she knew as a kid that I was going to have abandonment issues and that she was causing them. Really? But she didn't know what to, yeah, she said that. she And she even said she didn't know what else to do. So she just was doing, which... I understand. But at the same time, it's like when they tell you that too, my mom, um, when I was little, she always told me she knew I was going to be her hell. She Mm. swears up and down from the day I was born, I was going to be this terrible child that when you hear that consistently, you start to think that you literally are the worst human on this planet. Like if my own mother is telling me I am the worst child in the world, I'm going to believe I'm the worst in the world. Mm -hmm. I grew up with my parents, parents and like my whole family basically saying like it was, you got the worst traits of your mom and your dad. That's such an insult, especially if you don't like your parents, like hated being told I look like my mom. I get so, so livid inside when people are like, oh, you look like your mom. I'm like, you don't know my mom. And now I'm more okay with it just because I've seen her growth and her changes. But again, we're talking about during the time when this was at its peak and I hated it. Yes. You didn't want to be like her. And people saying you looked like her made it feel like they were saying you, look, you were her. 
Exactly. Yeah. It's hard when you look back and, and you think about the way that we are as adults now as a result of this childhood trauma. So I want to go into really fast something that you did yesterday that I'm really excited for you to talk about because <laughs> the way that you explained it was so cool. And I like Kelly went skydiving. She jumped out of a fucking plane. This is her third time doing it, by the way, like third time jumping out of an airplane. I would Perfectly love to do that. good airplane. Explain this experience. <laughs> um, okay. So way back when my first skydive, I basically beforehand, I have like a horrible fear of heights. And a lot of the times fear is what stops me from doing things because it, it consumes me not only um, mentally, but emotionally and physically. Um, and so it will really stop me from doing things. And there was a interview with a famous person. I don't know if I'm supposed to say her name or not. Yeah, we can say Will. It's Will Smith. <laughs> I feel like... Okay. If they haven't heard the interview, go listen to it. It's so good. Just look up Will Smith skydiving. Yeah. And I know like in it, he talks about God and I take that message if you want it, leave it if you don't. Um, But basically it was how on the other side of fear is pure bliss. And so even if you face your fear, it's not going to matter because the other side is going to be so much better. Even if it's crap, it's going to be so much better because that fear is no longer in front of you. And that's really when you're going to go do like the greatest things in your life. And so the first time, um, as I was watching that video, like I could feel it in my body of like, just like this anxiety or tenseness of like, oh shit, that's, I've got to go skydiving now. <laughs> that's the fear that I've got to go face. That's how I have to face it. I can't remember if it was like a year or two years later, but it was some time before I set a goal. And I actually set a goal with a friend of mine and drug her along to the skydive because I wasn't going to be able to do it by myself. I really couldn't. I would have backed out. So my first skydiving experience in the video, because I paid for the video, you could literally see me going, fuck this, like mouthing it as they're getting me out of the airplane. And like the whole door opening experience is crazy because you're not supposed to open the door of an airplane while you're in the freaking oh. sky. Like, <laughs> and it just watch- sounds like it goes against human nature. Like 100%. <laughs> but then like you have so much anxiety watching all these people before you, but once you're out of the airplane, oh my gosh, the free fall is the best part. It is seriously the best part. The first time I screamed bloody murder during the whole free fall, like <laughs> bloody murder. I don't know if yeah. the person, my tandem person had their eardrums left afterwards. Um, the second <laughs> time I was trying to be like cool, calm and collected. And I went because my friend was really needing like a pick me up. And I was like, let's go skydiving. And during that time, I was not in a good place in my life. And the free fall made me panic. So that was like really weird. And so then this time I went and I'm actually in a kind of pretty good place in my life now. Um, you know, there's still some things that I'm dealing with, but, um, I'm no longer in a relationship that I don't want to be in. I'm living solo and able to do so. Like there's so much better things for me. And this time skydiving, I didn't even have an adrenaline rush. It was just like, I'm excited to go do this. I did it. And my tandem dude 
was really freaking cool with the video guy. Like the video guy came up and they like held hands and they like turned them upside down. So there's pictures like, so you can like see sky above me. And it, like wow. he did like all these cool tricks that like the whole time I was like, fuck yeah, hell yeah. And like, I was like, Wee, whoa. like just having the time of my life. And it's right. so weird to think that like the first time I went, I was facing a fear. And that was a whole thing. The second time I went was really for fun, flash, trying to help a friend pick me up. And I wasn't in a good place in my life. And that was, it was hard. And then the third time, now I'm like, another day in the office. Let's go jump again. <laughs> That's crazy. And I think one thing that you had said that really stood out to me was that you found yourself in skydiving. Oh, yeah. Can you explain that? Yes. So after my first time skydiving, that's really where I started to find who I was because I had allowed so much fear to stop me from experiencing life or doing the things that I wanted to do or anything. And so being able to face that fear, that helped me be like, I can do the hard things. I can do skydiving. Like I jumped out of a perfectly good airplane and I'm still alive. Like, right. I can do hard shit. Let's go. And so that really helped me. Um, and when I like look back and I think of like the timeline of my life and how things have run, like I can clearly see how that was really me taking myself back in my own life and like starting to really put forth what I was wanting in life instead of just sitting back and letting it happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really inspiring. I would love to go skydiving. Um, who knows? Come back home. I'm telling you, I probably would need someone to drag me along because I want to, but I'm definitely the type of person who's like, mm -mm, I'm here. I can't, but if you drag me, I'll do it. Like I definitely am that person too, where I'm like, I have so many fears in my life. And I feel like it all stems from that childhood upbringing. And that's why I say this is so relevant because anybody who was raised by um, an abusive parent, and I say the word abusive, I know that sounds rough. It is. It is abuse. It is hard to have a, a parent who is degrading you all the time, who is physically harming you all the time. Like these are things that people actually go through. And I know it's hard for people in my family who are like, what? Like, no. And, and it's mm -hmm. hard because some, they've never seen it. I'm the, I'm the only child to have lived with my mother from birth to adulthood. I have two older brothers and they have their own stories. So I'm not going to speak on their stories whatsoever, but I'm going to say that my oldest brother lived with, um, family members. And then my other brother, who's two years older than me, he lived with family members of, uh, on his dad's side. So these two humans, I love them so much, but they have their own stories. This one is mine. And other than myself and my father, no one else has lived with my mom for that long. People can't really speak and say that our stories are untrue or hateful. Plus, I don't think people realize that even siblings in the same household experience their parents differently. Yes. And I'm talking every sibling and your parents in the same room watching the same event unfold, it can, ha it has a different effect on every single person in that room. Right. Yeah. 
So that speaks volumes, because, actually. Yeah, and just because, like, like say we were siblings and we watched something happen with our parents, just because I feel that it was abuse doesn't necessarily mean that you felt it was abuse. And it's interesting to me to to like think about that, just because I do have three older siblings and a younger sibling, and like it's interesting to think like we all went through the same stuff, yet its effect was so different on us. Yet yeah, not. Because we're all, we all grew up with pretty interesting experiences. Yeah, definitely. I think you're right. You're absolutely right. I've never thought of it that way. So that perspective is amazing because you're right. No two people experience the same thing the same way. And there's also the way that people see other people. Because here's Mm -hmm. the thing. No narcissistic parent is going to go out and portray themselves in a negative light. They're not going to do that unless, unless their mask slides off which the only the time like I've been thinking about this topic a lot lately and I was I was thinking back because I have family members who had no idea that this is what I was going through as a kid like they saw my poor decisions and were at the time like you're a bad kid like you're the worst kid you're making bad choices you're a bad example but they never stopped to think why why is she acting out like this why is this happening and it stems from that parent showing that. So when I look back at my childhood, my mom would have these like, not physically, but she'd have these like metaphorically knock down drag out fights. There was no parting with people amicably. There was no, uh, I'll disagree with you. You'll disagree with me. It's fine. It was always a fight. And we would have, she would have these spouts and arguments with my aunt, um, who's no longer with us. She would have them with my cousin, which I don't know if my cousin remembers all of this, but this would all transpire. We go months, if not a year without talking to these family members. And to me, seeing that as a child, that was normal. That was just, and it was their fault. It was never her fault. Like that's why other people look in on these types of stories. Like people don't necessarily want to look at their own families. I guess, dark secrets and face them. But then they'll they'll um, they'll speak highly and give accolades to celebrities who are coming out and speaking out on their abuse. Like, like Jeanette McCurdy. Like I had family members, cousins, people who were always like, yeah, like good for you for speaking out. But if I speak out, it's like, no, that's not true. Um, that's actually one thing that I've struggled with my mom specifically is she gets really like defensive and struggles with the fact that she did that. So then she kind of turns it into like a victimhood to try and, I guess, make up for it or explain it. Yeah. But it doesn't, it doesn't come out right. Not at all. In fact, that's actually a key trait of narcissism is that aspect of it, playing the victim. And with borderline personality disorder, that is that is a trait of it. And I've learned a lot about BPD from somebody that I know who has it, who lives a healthy life, very, very transparent person, very self-aware, just gave me so much closure in knowing that I'm not crazy, but I didn't speak to that person until like I was an adult. (laughs) So going through that as a kid, you know, I just, all I, all I knew was that my mom would get extremely angry to the point where she would say the worst possible things, anything that was going to like jab and then twist just as painful as she could make it. And that's traumatizing. 
like extremely traumatizing because that sets the tone for later in life, what you will expect and what you will accept. And I am not your own mom from your mother, from the person who gave birth to you, who claims I can, I gave you life, be grateful. But how am I supposed to be grateful as a seven-year-old who's being told I'm the worst child? I'm sorry. I'm laughing because I literally thought of that. I brought you into this life and I can bring you out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Like, Same that thing. Is and so bad. It is. It is so bad. And I just don't understand how people don't connect the two. And I'm not surprised I ended up in a bad relationship with Kyle. I'm not because my mom, it was normal for me. It was normal to be treated that way. That's how I ended up in toxic friendships was because it was normal for people to act like that, for people to be selfish, for people to not consider my feelings, for people to, you know, take care of themselves and give me the bare minimum in a friendship that hurts. And and how, yeah, like how, how do you coexist with that? Like, honestly, Um, it's not easy. I know for me personally, I don't have much contact with my parents because of it. Um, because it is hard to coexist because it is hard to set the boundaries and have them respect the boundaries. Um, and I know my oldest sister actually is really good with helping me because like we're in a group chat with like my parents because, or I guess my mom. And so my oldest sister, like when anything is going on, she'll private message me and be like, do not feel pressured. Do like what what is really on your mind and how can I help support you in this? Because even my oldest sister is like, they shouldn't be doing this, but this is the situation. So what, what, how can I best support you in here? You know, and yeah, I would love to have a better relationship with my parents, but I, I don't know if it's possible. Yeah, I just definitely love them at a distance. Sometimes you just kind of have to. I mean, some people have to go no contact with their parents and that's Mm -hmm. okay too. I think that whatever the circumstances are for individuals that it's going to have them live the best healthy life, like that's what they need to do. I've joined several like daughters, specifically daughters who were raised by narcissistic mothers. And that is an It is a community that I never really thought I could connect with so well. People will post things. I'm like, oh my gosh, my mom does or like did that. It it just felt so, it felt normal, which is unfortunate to say. But growing up, it was so isolating because I never imagined that other people had parents like mine because you see, and I'm sure people had their troubles, you know, but on the outside, I would see parents who were together, who were happy, who did stuff with their kids. Like my mom was not a really big part of my activities. Now my dad was, my dad was a really big part of it. And I think where I benefit and I am, I am incredibly privileged. And I admit to that is that I do have a father who is an incredible person. Like, I don't know where I would be to this day without my dad, but I didn't have my childhood with my dad. I had about, I had the first 10 years with my father and then I had 10 years without him because my mom poisoned me against him. And, and they do that. They'll poison you against yep. whoever is threatening them. Yep. I literally and, remember standing on the kitchen table in the middle of dinner, screaming at my dad to divorce my mom when I was like four. Wow. Yeah. Four? Yeah. yeah. 
you're a baby, but you still knew. Yep. And and the thing is, is like both of my parents are toxic in their own way. Yeah. And um, they shouldn't have had all of us kids together. Because I do think that like right. so many of us kids, because there's five of us, I thought that's a lot in itself, along with the issues, personal issues that both my parents had. And you consider everything in a marriage, right? I mean, you've been married. So you consider, mm-hmm. you know, all the struggles that you have. I mean, I've never been, I mean, okay, that's a lie. I've been married. My marriage was a fluke. It didn't last very long. So I don't really, it only happened on the legal side, a little legal sense, but with being in, and I was, I've only been in my relationship for four years. That is the longest relationship I've ever been in. And even after four years, it is so crazy how much stuff we've been through together. I could not imagine the the struggles, right, that you're having. And, and I think we recognize that as kids. We totally recognize that our parents had their own struggles going on. Oh, yeah. But they oh, weren't yeah. getting help for it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, um, and I don't think it was necessarily intentional, but a lot of the times it got put on our kids growing up yeah instead of them and so because I remember feeling like a burden and a problem and yeah as a child those aren't things that you come up with yourself no there's something that happened that causes all of those emotions because at Mm -hmm. some point your parents made you feel like you were the problem and Mm -hmm. my mom is so guilty of that I mean after her and my dad divorced, I, I went to live with her and I had to quit all of my activities. My dad was my, my coach. My dad made sure I, well, he was my coach, like playing T-ball. I played T-ball and softball, but when my parents divorced, I couldn't play softball anymore. My mom wasn't going to take me. She didn't want to. Well, I had to stop because I got hurt. So I'll, I'll give her the credit there. I did get hurt. I had surgery. I had to stop, but I was okay to go back. My doctor okayed me to go back. But my mom did not want to take me to practice. She didn't want to take me to a game. She didn't want to sit out there. I wasn't allowed to even try to play soccer because my mom didn't want to pl- to sit in the rain during the game. My mom never took me anywhere. It was my dad did. And I really regret the fact. And it's not my fault. My dad doesn't blame me for it whatsoever. But I hated my father. I thought my dad was the worst human. Because my mother, I was her emotional shoulder rest. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Because this is exactly like you and I on this, this, the whole mom, like you end up protecting your mom and not liking your dad because you think your dad is the one that is so in the wrong and so bad and all these things. And then it turns out not necessarily Exactly. Exactly. And it, it was, I was my mother's emotional crutch. So I knew much more than I ever should have. I mean, I, I was in charge of everything. I had to grow up so fast. I mean, my mom would ask me, you know, what internet should we get? So I had to, you know, research the internet. What's the best thing to have? What type of computer do we need? Um, when we were looking for apartments to live in, I got to pick where we lived. I had friends who lived in this apartment complex. I got to pick where we lived. And How I was 14 years point? old. 14. 14 years old, I'm making these decisions. I'm choosing what TV networks do we have, uh, grocery lists. Like, 
I was in charge of all of the like <laughs> responsible things, but of course I was a kid. I was never actually responsible for it. And mm. I was, I was allowed to be older than I was. And I think that's what really killed me. But that's when I got along with my mom the most because she is mentally like 16. Yeah, That's the only time I got along with her because that's when I started drinking. My mother bought me alcohol. My mother would buy my friend's alcohol. I really, I really contemplated saying that, but it's the truth. She bought us all alcohol. All we had to do was ask. My mom was the cool mom. We had the party house. She would leave. She left one new year's and me and my brother threw like a big fucking party where we had like 20, 30 people coming in and out. 30 is probably an exaggeration, maybe like 20, but it was a lot of my brother's friends just coming in and out. People would stop by bring like they bring jugs of caribou loose. She bought us a bunch of alcohol before we left. Like it was fucking dope when I was that age, but it was fucking stupid. I never should have been doing that stuff. So your mom went out of town for the weekend and she bought you alcohol before she left. Yep. She knew. Which yeah, which I struggle with because I know like even my parents were, if you want alcohol, let us know and we'll get it so you can try it. Right. Which I never, yeah. never did. Actually, I think I did when I was finally 18. I told my dad I wanted to try Guinness and he went and bought me Guinness. <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but like I was 16 going over to my boyfriend's house, getting drunk and sleeping with him and spending the night. Yeah. And my parents were excited and would like, would, at, when I was in high school, wanted me to marry that guy because of the type of person he was and what he had done for his friends, which yes, was very admirable. And I'm not going to say it because everyone will know who it is. Yeah. And during that time, thinking about, you know, my mom encouraging all of these behaviors, I was allowed to smoke weed. I was allowed to like, I just like people talk about sneaking out. I never had to sneak out. My mom will deny Mm -hmm. it. She'll be like, oh, I didn't know you snuck out, which to this day she knows. She knows damn well now. But all I all I had to be was with the boys. I had a lot of male friends or I had my brother and his friends. As long as I was was with some male of the age of 14 who was going to protect me somehow or 16, that was going to be okay. I mean, she even like, there was this unwritten rule that if the cops called her, she was going to protect us. Swear. The cops called her one night because I was out past curfew and my mom got pissed at the officer and my mom knew who I was with. So she said, why are you calling me? And he's like, well, your daughter's out here past curfew. And my mom goes, my son is picking her up from her friend's house because she is sick. I have to wake up early tomorrow. And the police officer was like, okay, go home. She didn't know that the cops were going to call. I didn't fucking know that the cops were going to call, but there was an unwritten rule that if they were going to call her, we had a cover story. I mean, pretty cool when you're going up. Exactly. (laughs) But what does that create though? (laughs) Like it sounded cool when I was, when I was 14, 15, 16 years old. But when I was 14, I started being groomed by an older guy. And that is where I look back and I'm like that right there. When we let kids grow up before they need to, they have this sense of like, I am this age. I know what I'm doing. I was 14 and I had met this guy who went to military school with my brother. This guy was already two years older than my brother. My brother was two years older than me. This guy was four years older than me. I was 14. He was 18 when he graduated. 
from this military program. And that's when we started talking. My brother introduced me to him. And so we started talking. By the next year, we were dating and I had met him in person. By the end of 2009, like we were together on and off because he would like ghost me for months at a time. Like I'm dead serious. And then I would date somebody else in between and he would be like, you were cheating on me. So very manipulative, horrible person. Yeah. And he's 19 years old. I'm 15. Yeah. At the beginning of 2010, this guy moved in with us. He would be, he was 20 and I was 16. He moved in with us. My mom let him. And it's really sad to look back on because he, I went to military school, the same military program he was in because I was a troubled kid and I went there. During that time, he was bringing girls to my house who were younger than me, allegedly. Allegedly, this is all alleged, but these are stories I heard from these girls, so I fucking believe them, okay? 20, okay? My mom finally kicked him out because he wasn't paying rent. That's the only reason. She told me, I kicked him out because I found out you, et cetera, right? Mm. No, it was just because he didn't pay rent. That created such an unhealthy very, very codependent side of myself that made me a people pleaser. And I hate it. Yep. Um, And what's crazy is as you were telling me that story, I literally have like the same freaking story. That's right. Mm -hmm. You do. Like, uh I like, I want to say 13 is when my grandpa started having Alzheimer's really bad. And, um, at that point, I was online. I mean, everyone, everyone our age at that point was, you know, trying the online chatting AOL and all that aim. Yeah. And, shit. Um, and I had met someone online and totally groomed me and everything. And um, he eventually came out to visit. And I, yes, at the time lied and said I was like 16 or something. Right. And I wasn't. But he lied and said he was 21, but still 16 and 21. Mind you, I was 13. I was 13. Um, So the guy comes out to visit, isn't the person in the picture that I had been sent, like a physical picture, because back then, um, that he had mailed to my house because I gave him my address to mail me stuff. So the first time he came out to visit, I met him at a motel, checked his ID while he was in the shower. He was born in 1955. Shut up. That's old. That's older than my mother. Oh mm. my God. Um, and then because I had built such a relationship with him online for so long. Yeah. I thought it was, I mean, I thought it was a real relationship, you know, and I yeah. was invested and eventually he moved into my parents' house. Wow. And when I, stopped engaging in sexual activity um he went after one of my friends at high school because I was still in high school I was still in high school and he told me he was gonna go like hang out with one of my girlfriends and I literally told him I was like you can do whatever you want to me but you will not you will not touch my friends wow yeah that's so like ugh yeah. And then wow. it took years later. And I'm talking like I was in my w- late 20s, early 30s. And I'd found out that one of my siblings was friends with this guy on Facebook. And 
could see things about my life still because of that. And um, I ended up telling my parents and one of my parents' reaction was, that's not what that was. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I told them, they literally said, that's not what that was. Then what the fuck was it? I don't know. Like, what do narcissistic people have to tell themselves to sleep at night is what I want to know. That I, I don't know. It's so sad. Like I like I'm fighting back tears because like it's so fucked up that it's so fucked up that that us as kids, we were not protected. I mean, mm-hmm. you by a 50, 40, 50 year old dude, that is horrendous. Like and at what point when when your child, underage child, um I don't care what gender, and I don't care what gender the over 18 person is if your child is underage and they're bringing someone that you have never met before as an adult around I'm sorry there needs to be some questions asked because I get that not everyone is out there to groom and do sure harmful things but yeah what there's questions what are you doing Dude, my kid is like, no. And I think about that all the time. Like if some, like even 18, I don't care if my kid is 18. I don't care if, if, if they're going to be 18 in six months. No, you wait till my, like you wait till you're 18. I am so sorry. I mean, that goes both ways. You don't date anybody who's 18 and you're under 18. And you don't be 18 dating people under 18. I'm sorry. It just creates a lot of problems. Okay. Maybe it's a little overdramatic. Like if you're, you know, a year difference. Okay. But it just really starts to like blur those lines when you're talking 14, 18, 19, because that's at the point where they're out of high school. They should either be in college, working on a job or pursuing adulthood, right? Versus a 14 year old who should be focusing on their freshman year of high school. Right. And that makes me kind of in that realm of uh, conversation. It reminds me of Kyle when he groomed Kendra and Lulu. These are the two girls. One has a pseudonym, one we did an interview with, so she's okay with us using her name. Um, But there was a seven-year difference and nobody questioned. Well, I I think Kendra's dad questioned it for her. I don't know that Lulu's parents know. I can't speak to that, but I can speak to Kendra saying that my dad had suspicion and didn't want me around him. But Kyle's parents were totally 100% on board with this. They knew what was going on. They knew the relationship was happening and they did nothing, said nothing. But I was telling them I was concerned and they're like, no, it's not happening. So they knew it was wrong, but they were supportive of it. And so were a lot of other people in that small ass town. Like, why are these adults supportive of this? Do they also have narcissistic parents? Or are they narcissists? I don't know, because I understand that like it takes a village to raise a freaking child, like, because yeah, it does. Children are a lot of work, but at the same time, I think it was like too loose in the sense of like, everyone's like, Oh yeah, you're an adult and you want to help raise my child. Sure. Let's go. No, it should not be like that. It should, you don't know what someone's true intentions are. Yeah. Yeah. And for them to look past that is the hard part about it. Like my mom was so focused on, on herself 
during that time. And she'll even admit to that again. Like, I'm going to disclaim this a thousand times. My mother knows I'm talking about this. She says it's okay. I mean, not that I need her permission, but I like knowing that she is going to listen to this and be okay with it because we're talking about healing. Right. And, and your mom feels such a long way. Yeah. You've, you've seen it. We've been friends for a while. So you've definitely seen what I've gone through and it's good that people are seeing that, but it's, it's the people who are seeing the now and they didn't get to see the then. Mm -hmm. And the then is what I'm still very much in in depth traumatized from. And I, I think about those things and, and I had a, a very toxic friendship that I was engaged in for about five years. And um, me and that dude, we were, we connected on a very toxic personal topic, very similar. I'm not going to mention too much about it, but essentially this person, he was not good to me. Like it was a very one-sided, very clearly one-sided friendship. I had known him from like a distance for a while, but then like I got to know him on a deeper level. And when I knew him on that deeper level, I was like, dude, you are so selfish. Like it got to the point where my partner hated him. Like it was, you need to stop being friends with this person. They're doing no good for you. You have anxiety when you hang out with them. You're afraid to say what, what, you know, you want to say around them because they're going to get upset. Like this is as toxic of a relationship as it was with Kyle with the, like, except for the abusive part, because I would address something with that person and he would say, um, well, then why did you agree to that? And I was just so baffled because this person, he had also a a history with abuse. And for him to say something like that to me was incredibly hurtful because how dare you? Honestly, how fucking dare you? I, we, we like, when you are in an abusive relationship, it's like saying, why did you stay? Because at the time I agreed to something fucking different, stupid, like, come on. So he and I did have to finally discontinue a relationship. I'm serious. We did have to discontinue our relationship. I haven't spoken to him for a long time now, but that's something that I look at and I'm like, my mom's like, that's because of my mom. I am a people pleaser because of my mother. I have a hard time setting boundaries with people because of my mother. I want people to like me because of my mom didn't. And if I can just tiptoe just enough, somebody will stay my friend. If I can tiptoe just enough and be weak enough, someone will stay, stay around me. And because I've never had consistent relationships because of my mom, you're pointing at me. I feel like you get yeah. it. Yeah. No, like legit. Like, cause I am, I have been a people pleaser my whole freaking life. And there's been so many times where like, I'm like, I hate that I am a people pleaser. Like, I don't want to yeah. please people. I don't want to please people 24 seven. I would like to please myself. Thank you. Like, come on. Um, but it is, it's because growing up, I was told to not like myself because yeah. again, you're got the bad qualities of both your parents. Like you got the worst of both yep. of us. Like, how am I supposed to like that? You don't, you learn to hate it because if your parents mm-hmm. are saying those bad things about you, you're not supposed to find yourself Good. I mean, my mom would mention, like, I remember being like a teenager and I was not, I I had grown, I I was a fat kid growing up for sure. Like I want to say during my adolescence, like during the adolescence period prior to like teen, like preteen, basically I was a heavier child and I got made fun of for being fat. It was awful. And my mom, I remember like was praising the fact that I was dieting 
at the age of fucking like 11, 12. I was in my, I was obsessively doing crunches. I was restricting my food. Like I did not realize, but I had a fucking eating disorder that I did not recognize that I had. Right. So I lost weight. I lost a pretty decent amount of weight, but I had continued this, this continued. Right. So I'd lost weight. And the person who made fun of me would become my best friend. How is that acceptable? And it was a dude. It was a guy. This guy called me fat. And I guess the next year he didn't recognize who I was. And we became friends. I went to, we talked on the phone every single day for hours. I went to his birthday party. He hung out with me on my birthday. We were tight. Which Why the fuck was that ever okay? Yeah, which just literally reinforced the fact that you lose weight. And now you can have the happy things that you couldn't have when you were fat. Yeah. Which when I was what they considered fat and I have fat shame. I, because I have been considered the fat person, I'm still the fat person. Like I do not fat shame. I get pissed when people fat shame because it's like, who are you to feel entitled to saying that somebody else's body image is bad? Like there are people that I do not like in this world, but you will not see me. You will not catch me insulting the way that they look because that if you are only resulting in insulting somebody's physical appearance, you don't know them well enough to actually say something. If you can speak factual and mention bad things that they have done to make you feel bad, like negatively towards them. Sure. Go ahead. But do not call somebody stupid. Do not. I mean, I said that like you're. I, it was a joke, <laughs> but you know, I don't I'm not going to mention somebody's intelligence level. It's not I'm not about that, you know, because I've been that person. And that was a huge part of like my preteen and teenage years, because by seventh grade, I was very thin. And my mom still told me I was not thin enough for a belly button ring because I wanted one so bad. And it was not that she was against me getting it. I was not thin enough for it. And that was so devastating for me. Can we just pause and stop for a minute that you were how old? I was like 14. Okay. So 13, 13, 13. You're not skinny enough for a belly button ring. How is that not sexualizing you as a girl? Exactly. Exactly. It did. That's exactly what it was. It was, it was my mom projecting her own insecurities onto me mm-hmm. and me mm-hmm. 100% developing those insecurities and me feeling like I have to look some sort of stereotypical way in order to have certain things. And that's where I think that's what really like created this unhealthy relationship with food because I would starve myself and then I would binge. I never got to the pur- to the purging point. I just, I can't for the life of me do that, but that doesn't mean I didn't try. It wasn't right. for me, <laughs> but it was something that created this really unhealthy relationship with food, with people, with everything in my life. I mean, I was binge drinking at the age of fucking 15. I was binge drinking. I remember me and my buddies who are my brother's friends. We had this goal. My brother was gone for six months at this military program. We were going to have 60 bottles done by the time he got back. I mean, that's 10 bottles a month. We did it. I was drunk for an entire week straight several times. And I was binge drinking because I, I think a lot of it was because I, one, I wanted to fit in. And two, I was not insecure when I was drinking. When I was drinking heavily, I could be this outspoken person who I can't be normally is what I felt. As extroverted of a person mm-hmm. as I am, I have such a hard time speaking out, which is so weird. Um, so with you saying all of that, just made me realize like that that is exactly 
why I used to drink. It was either to feel numb or to be able to be myself because the alcohol would take away the pressure of caring and of trying to people please and trying to fit in. And if I was drunk, I was just loud and obnoxious and everywhere and didn't care. Exactly. It was when I could really be and say my feelings and, and I mean, it's sometimes it went well, sometimes it didn't, you know, my brother would always tell me that. And you know, what's crazy. This is so fucked up too. So fucked up. Like I think my, my brother's friends, And again, this is my experience with my brother. This is not my brother's experience. This is nothing to do with him as a person. This is his friends, things that they would say. They would tell me that I'm not a good drunk, that I wasn't allowed to come around because I wasn't a good drunk because I would fight with my brother's now ex-wife. So in in retrospect, it was fine. But back then it was never okay because I would start drama with her. But here's the thing. I was a child, like I was a teenager drinking. What teenager is going to be a good drunk? None of us were. My brother's, one of my brother's friends that he was friends with a long time ago would always start fights. He'd always want to be fight. He'd be like, I want to fight. I want to fight. And he would just go pick fights with people. Like, that's not a good drunk, excuse me. Right. Like, what are you talking about? None of us were good drunks because we were <laughs> kids. Why do you, I mean, our brains don't even fully develop until we're 25. Right? There's a reason why 28, 21 is the drinking age. Yeah. Yeah. Which, but y- you couldn't have told us that when we were kids, though. Nope, not at all. Not, the, not at, at all. all. There was no way, especially when you have parents who either don't care or who are giving it to you. I mean, my dad never did. Right. My dad was always like, nope, because I would beg him to drink on camping trips. We would go camping and he had this coworker who had kids my age and he would invite so he had a kid my age and then that kid would invite other kids, other his friends. So it was a bunch of kids my age who were a bunch of dudes. Everything he brought his girlfriend on one trip. My dad was baffled by the fact that he brought his girlfriend. He was like 16, 17, maybe 16. And they were sleeping together. My dad was so shocked. Like he was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> so which in my opinion is the same thing. As an adult, yeah. I'm like, why the fuck was that ever okay? But I, at the time, I would beg him, dad, can I drink? Please, just a Mike's Hard Lemonade. My dad's like, no, I don't care if they're drinking. You're not going to. It's illegal. I'm not going to give in to that. He's like, absolutely not. You do not need to drink. And I, I to this day, I'm like, thank you, dad. Thank you for being that parent for me yeah. because he was the parent. I look at where all these people are in their lives now and kind of what they're up to. A lot of the people that were drinking at that age are alcoholics to this day. I've seen them drink and drive. I've, I've continued to see them. You know, a lot of them that I knew are in and out of prison for hard drugs, heroin, meth, just falling into addiction, which in itself is its own illness. And no one, in my opinion, has been helping them because they could have been helped at a younger age. But that's because you have people like my mom who was supplying them with alcohol, who's supplying them with cigarettes, again, with that same mentality, right? Making them feel like they're older than they are. Because uh, if a parent had stepped in, I mean, I don't get me wrong. There are good quality parents out there who have kids who fall into addiction. Oh, yeah. It's a very, very hard illness to to help your child get out of. And I understand that. I mean, I don't, I don't understand that. And I'm not going to criticize. I'm not going to say meth, like people addicted to meth are horrible people or whatever. They're just, they, they have an addiction to something that they cannot get away from. So I'm not going to shame people for that. But I, I think in this situation, I saw parents feeding into this behavior. And now this is the result. Mm-hmm. Because not only did my mother do this to me, she did this to other kids that she was supplying alcohol to. And their parents didn't know. She was lying to their parents and providing all of us alcohol to the point where we were throwing up in her bathroom and she would be laughing with us, laughing at somebody throwing up in our bathroom. Which, I mean, 
I know that's typically really hard for people with good parents to imagine, but it's real. It is so real. And if anyone who's listening that is like, oh my gosh, this is absolutely insane. I'm so happy for you. I'm yeah, so same. If this have. is true, yes. <laughs> if this is unfathomable for you, thank God. Because or right. thank the universe, whatever you believe in, like thank something. Because as much as this you probably is... have issues with, with your own parents. Yeah, right. And these are things that we don't wish anyone Never. would experience from their own parent. And no. Part of the reason why we are talking about it is because of the years of us conversating um we both really feel like it's something we need to open the discussion up and be vulnerable open real honest like all the things about all the things that we experience yeah and it's it's an uncomfortable conversation it's uncomfortable for us because we have to talk about it it's uncomfortable for people to listen to, but it's really uncomfortable for the people who don't want it to be spoken about. And, and you will hear me laugh at things that don't, that aren't funny, but that is also how I cope. Same. Oh yeah. We have dark sense of humor uh, because oh, that's yeah. how, how else are you supposed to cope with trauma? And that's what I always say. Like I have a really fucked up sense of humor because of it. Um, But it's so crazy. We're actually at just over an hour. So Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. So we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. There'll probably be a part two to this because this is a topic that we could probably go on forever because I don't even think we barely scratched the surface. Everybody, please come back for this because we are, we're going to dive into so many different aspects of this. So stay tuned. Kelly, thank you so much for coming. Thank you. I'm so grateful. It's so cool to be able to banter back and forth with somebody who's like, gets it. Um, (laughs) And then again, yeah, I think that you have a really good message to share. So are there any last thoughts that you want? to throw out there whatever your fear is face it and go find yourself again and if it's that i'll go with you (laughs) that was deep that was i love it (laughs) awesome well everybody yeah you guys can follow us on instagram me you guys can follow the x's and t podcast on instagram at x's and t underscore podcast we're still working on the tiktok still working on some different changes that are coming soon super excited for that um but stay tuned thanks for coming everybody and have a great night bye